John chapter 20. We're going to spend a couple more weeks here uh, in this gospel, seeing the afterglow of the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. John 20, verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any... It is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Let's pray. Father, we have not seen the risen Jesus. And so would you help us this morning to receive the blessing that Jesus speaks about us. The blessing that although we do not see him physically, we can hear about him through these words, through the witness and words of these disciples. And that we can believe. And that we can have life in His name. Would you help us to do that this morning? To encounter these words. And to embrace them with faith. And to receive the gift of your life. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember a scene from a movie. I don't remember the movie, uh, but I remember the scene. It's impressed on my memory. And, and it, it had in it a, a dramatic 
car wreck. And broken glass strewn everywhere. And out of one of the cars stumbles a man and he, he turns around and he looks at the wreckage and then he kind of mumbles under his breath and he says, so that happened. And then he turns and walks away. You ever feel like that with Easter? You ever think like that with Easter? There is this wreckage of pastels and too much sugar. And he is risen, he is risen indeed, empty tomb, new creation. And then it's Monday, and then it's kind of like, so that happened. And we move on with our lives. Well, the Gospel of John will not let that happen with us. Notice, and this is important, that John does not end his story with the empty tomb. He keeps talking. He keeps writing. He has more to say after the resurrection of Jesus. He says the resurrection of Jesus is the great earthquake, but there are really important aftershocks as well. And so while it is very appropriate for us to celebrate Easter, it is also very good for us to ask, what now? Empty tomb, what now? What should we do now? And so I want to ask that question this morning. I want to bring that question to this text, and I want to add another question to it. And so we're going to look at what Jesus does and says here. We're going to ask, after Easter, what should we do, and how do we do it? First of all, what? And to answer what, we have to ask where. Where are the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus? They are in a room with the doors locked. And a lot of people want to talk about those locks in relationship to Jesus and his post-resurrection abilities. And that's legitimate. But I think the locks are just as much about the disciples As they are about Jesus. Because see, those locked doors are what the post-resurrection Jesus wants to change about the disciples. Jesus doesn't just want to bypass, bypass locked doors. He wants to unlock them and open them and kick the disciples out of the room. Sending words are some of the most common words in the Gospel of John. Over and over again, there is an emphasis on the truth that Jesus is the Son sent from the Father. He is the one who is sent from above. So now here in John 20, Jesus takes that identity, that identity of sentness, that identity of being sent from above, from the Father, and He hands it to the disciples. And He hands it to the community that grows from the disciples. He hands it to us. The what now of Easter is movement. It is movement out of the room. It is doors 
unlocked and opened. The what now of Easter is for Jesus to involve us in this movement of bringing his life to the world. Now what does that mean? Well, I I can't fully exhaustively answer that question this morning, but I want you to see a couple of aspects of our sentness, our movement in response to the resurrection from this text. Two things that Jesus sends us with. First of all, forgiveness. Verse 23. Forgiveness. Now, verse 23 is a dangerous verse. If you take verse 23 out of context, out of the context of everything else that Jesus says, out of the context of everything else that the New Testament says, it is easily easily misunderstood, easily misused. Jesus is not saying that people will come to the church and confess their sins and that the church gets to decide what's forgivable and what's not. We need to remember and recall and pay attention to the fact that in the Gospel of John, sin isn't primarily behavior. It is primarily unbelief. Sin in the Gospel of John is defined by unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief in the message that is proclaimed at the beginning of the book by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is John saying? He is saying, there is forgiveness. That is forgiveness. He and his work is forgiveness. And so here at the end of the book, Jesus takes that message and he hands it to the church. And he says, this is yours. And he calls us to protect the identity, the integrity of that message. Because, see, the the earliest Christian community, one of the first things they immediately have to deal with is people who want to come in and who want to tinker with the message. They want to tweak the message. They want to add some things to the message. And they want to say, okay, you want forgiveness? Well, you need Jesus and you need circumcision. And you need an ethnic identity. And you need some other religious practice. So Jesus gives the church the authority to say, no, that's not forgiveness. That's not the message of forgiveness. The message of forgiveness is behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nothing else. So Jesus gives us, he sends us With that message. He sends us to know that message. He sends us to proclaim that message. And he sends us to live in response to that message. That's part of what it means to be sent as Jesus has been sent. But Jesus not only gives us forgiveness. He also gives us breath. Verse 22. He breathed on his disciples. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit which is a little bit strange, right? Why didn't he just say, receive the Holy Spirit? Why does he have to do the weird breath thing? (laughs) Well, because that's what God does. That's like what God did in the beginning. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. 
Jesus is reenacting that creation. So that he not only sends us with the message of forgiveness, but he sends us as a new humanity. He sends us as people into whom have been, has been breathed the new life that comes from God. And there are a multitude of implications of that. But one is certainly that this movement, this mission that Jesus gives to us, it's not just about church stuff. If he is sending us as a new humanity, this mission isn't just for missionaries. It's not just about church stuff. Now, it involves certainly and importantly things like evangelism, things like the multiplication of churches around the world. It involves that, but it also involves your work and your friendship and your family and your recreation. And the ways that you participate in the city of Tallahassee. This mission embraces the entirety of your life. All of those things are arenas into which Jesus sends you on mission to represent him and the life that comes from him. And we certainly do that with what we say. We certainly do that with a willingness to talk about our faith. But we also do that with what we do and how we do it. How we work. How we relate. I think it was Martin Luther who said that the responsibility of a Christian shoemaker isn't to put little crosses on all of his shoes. It is to make good shoes. For the good of his neighbor. As an expression of the life that Jesus has given to him. So listen. The what now of Easter. Is is not to respond to Easter. The way that we respond to Easter candy. Or at least the way I responded to Easter candy as a kid. As an adult. I'm a plunderer. I steal other people's candy, particularly my kids. All right? As a kid, I was a hoarder. I was a hoarder and a hider. I would take my Easter stash, and I would find my special place that no one else knew about it, and I would put it there, and I would visit it every once in a while. My mom claims, I think she's exaggerating, but my mom claims that she would find two- and three-year-old pieces of candy around the house that I had squirreled away. <laughs> Let's not live Easter stash lives. Let's not take the life that we have been given through the death and resurrection of Jesus and squirrel it away. Center point, let's not be an Easter stash community where we have our little safe group of people over here protected from the world And nobody gets in. The what now of Easter is open doors. It's unlocked, open doors. Jesus wants to kick us out of this room. 
and send us into the world with his life. So sit with this question this week. How does Jesus want to open the doors of your life and send you? Center point, we need to sit with this question. How does Jesus want to open the doors of this community and send us? And with those questions, let me mention two resources that will help you. I said just a minute ago that this mission uh, isn't limited. It, it, it involves more than evangelism. But it does not involve less than evangelism. Jesus does call us to a willingness to share our faith. To talk about the gospel with people who don't know him. And so uh, let me recommend a book to you. It's a very Presbyterian thing to do. When you do evangelism, don't do it. Read about it. All right? <laughs> so, but this is, I think it's a really helpful book. I think it deals with a lot of the weirdness that sometimes the church attaches to evangelism. But the title of the book is called Get Real. It's by uh, a guy named John Leonard. I'm going to, I'll put, if, I'll try to remember to put it, remind me to put it in the news, where's Jennifer? Remind me to put that information in the newsletter. Get Real by John Leonard. It will help you connect this call to your life, and, and not to do some of the, the weird things that, that, that churches have done with evangelists. That's the first resource. Second resource I want to mention is this summer, um, we, we shut our groups down usually in the summer, and we take a rest, but I am going to schedule five or six evenings uh, this summer for us to come and to work through some material that's been written and created to help Christians and churches serve the materially poor in their community. A major way that we can step in and enact the gospel, the grace that we have been given, is to serve the poor in our community. And so I'm going to, I have all the questions for how to do that. I mean, I don't have all the answers. I'm sorry, those are all. I do have the questions. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I don't have the answers for how to do that. But I'm going to invite you to come, and we're going to talk about this together. And we're going to use that as a way to ask ourselves the question, how does Jesus want to unlock? And open the doors of this community and send us with his life into the world. Now, some of you are really uncomfortable right now. Maybe a lot of you. I am. Okay, this makes me uncomfortable. To talk about this, this is one place I totally relate to the disciples. Scared, locked in a room, right? I totally relate to that. Don't want to lock the doors. That's scary. That is risky. That makes me feel really uncomfortable and really vulnerable. So let's ask a second question. How does this happen? How does this movement happen in us as individuals and as a community? How does that happen? So, please notice Jesus. Jesus isn't here a drill instructor with new recruits. He does not bust in the room and start yelling and cussing and shaming these men for these cowardice, for their cowardice. That's not what he does, right? No, he shows up and he speaks peace. He speaks peace to their anxiety. He speaks peace 
to their doubt and their unbelief. Three times Jesus says, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. The first and the third time, that peace is connected to his body. And in particular, it is connected to his scars. The middle, the second time, that peace is connected to his gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he's called the Holy Spirit? He's another helper. He's another comforter. He is a replacement for the physical absence of Jesus. He is Jesus' presence in the physical absence of Jesus. See what Jesus is doing? He is addressing their fear. He is addressing their paralysis. Not by yelling. Not with arguments. But with presence. He is addressing it with His own presence. He's saying, move. And then He gives Himself. His sacrifice for sins. His victory over death. His Holy Spirit. As what will make that movement happen. Jesus doesn't motivate them with his disappointment in them. He motivates them with himself. He motivates them with what he has done. With what he is giving to them. That's how mission happens. And notice how the disciples respond. They are transformed from fear to faith. They respond with belief, right? Which is the whole point of the book. Verses 30 to 31 say, John says, I have written all of this so that those of you who didn't get to see Jesus, you can hear about him and you can believe and you can have life in his name. The response is a transformation from fear to faith. But I want you to notice the character of this faith. Notice the character of this belief. It is not Merely intellectual agreement. Thomas doesn't say, oh, okay, you got me. You proved me wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. Okay. Oh. The character of their belief, verse 20, they see Jesus and they are glad. That is a weak translation. That word is joy on steroids. They were overjoyed. And then Thomas Verse 28, he's not just convinced, is he? He is overcome. And he worships. That's how mission happens. That's how movement happens. Movement into the world with the life of Christ is the result of all. Of wonder in response to what Jesus has done. That's the engine that will drive us into the world with his life. 
It is worship before the one who is scarred for our sins. Before the one who pours out his own presence on us. Leslie Newbegin was a Scottish missionary to India. And after spending a number of years in India, he returned to the UK and he found out that he had to learn to be a missionary in his own home, in his own culture. And he became one of the greatest theologians, thinkers about Christian mission, I think in the history of Christianity and certainly in the 20th century. And he writes this. I think it captures this passage. He writes this in a book called The Gospel for a Pluralist Society. Newbegin says this. There has been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification. And yet, it seems to me that it misses the point. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus alive is something that cannot, cannot possibly be suppressed. The mission of the church is more like the fallout from a vast explosion. A radioactive fallout which is not lethal, but life-giving. Mission begins with an explosion of joy. I would say mission continues with an explosion of joy. We will move into the world not because we feel bad about how little we have done. Not because we decide that we want to do something great for God. We will move into the world when we are overwhelmed by the enormity of what He has done for us and what he has given to us. So it's good to read books about evangelism. It's good to read books and to consider ministry to the poor. But it is much better to come before Jesus and to join Thomas on our faces before him. Overwhelmed by who he is, by what he has done, saying, my Lord and my God. I heard recently about uh, people who repair really old clocks. And obviously one of the challenges of that is, is there are not manuals for repairing really old clocks. They didn't write manuals for these machines. And obviously the craftsmen are long dead. You can't go, out, go to them and ask them, how, to, how do you fix this clock? And so these experts... Experts, they have to look for little dents and scratches on the clock. And it is from those dents and scratches that they begin to figure out, here's what the maker intended. And here's how I can repair and restore this clock. And they call those dents and scratches witness marks. That's the what now of Easter. It is that your life would become a witness mark. It is that our community would become a witness mark. That we would be so dented and scratched by the gospel. So dented and scratched 
by the work of the Spirit, that the world could see, could hear, and know that there is life in His name. Let's pray.